The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Roads Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and backroads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen. Glad to have you with us for this edition of Trip Talk. We'll be back right after this. The holiday gift-giving season soon will be right around the corner. It's not too early to fuel the open road dreams of special people in your life with a subscription to American Road Magazine. With exciting features, quality writing, and beautiful photography in every issue, American Road makes a perfect gift for road-tripping moms and dads, gallivanting grandparents, adventurous aunts and uncles. Maybe that special friend will enjoy it too. Visit AmericanRoadMagazine.com, click subscribe, and for a limited time, you can enter the code KKNW to receive 25% off your subscription. An alternative to everything else on your radio dial. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to American Road Trip Talk, everybody. I'm Gary Mance, your host. Delighted to have you with us today. Whether you're listening live at 1150 KKNW in Seattle, 1150kknw.com or on podcast one because this program as you may know is a live broadcast which is then converted to a podcast heard worldwide however you're hearing us glad you're with us today we're going to be talking to a gentleman named kirk mcknight i'm going to give you the mad props as i like to say for kirk and then we're going to get down to some sports related road tripping and also the books that kirk has written because he is quite the scholar of the sports culture. Kirk McKnight is a freelance writer specializing in interview-based sports books, ranging from baseball to hockey. His work has been published in sports blogs, articles, and travel documentaries. Mr. McKnight is the author of The Voices of Baseball, the game's greatest broadcasters reflect on America's pastime. He's written other books as well, and we're going to hear about him in this half hour. But for the moment, let's say hello to Kirk McKnight. Kirk, I'm glad to be working with you on Trip Talk today. Glad to be here, too. Thanks for having me. You live in Las Vegas, sir, and I think a great jumping-off point for our conversation today is the fact, as I have noticed, haven't been there lately. I freely admit that, but I intend to remedy that soon enough. Kirk, living in Las Vegas, you have seen the... City of Neon, Sin City, with all of its attractions, of course the casinos and the luxurious hotels and the spas and the nightclubs and always the buffets, right? And all of that great theater with special shows and stars coming in. You also now are a mecca in Las Vegas for sports culture with the Golden Knights of Hockey and soon the Las Vegas Raiders of the NFL. What an amazing turn of events and an evolution of entertainment culture in Las Vegas. It definitely is. We went from zero to two major sports basically within six months of each other. And and they're talking more and more. They, they get a little ahead of themselves at times, but they're talking possibly NBA they're talking possibly Major League Baseball. If nobody can find a place for the A's to find a new home, who knows? But uh, I think baseball's a little closer than the NBA for whatever reason. I don't, I don't see an expansion happening in the NBA anytime soon, but I definitely see a relocation happening in Major League Baseball. So maybe we'll have three major sports teams by then. 
Well, Kirk, it sounds to me as long as there is an Oakland, California, you're going to have a source of sports franchises moving to Las Vegas. <laughs> true. That's true. <laughs> that you got so three major sports me. on. I'm sorry. Uh, well, I was just, it's, it's so interesting to me, particularly as I think about the opportunities I've had to travel. And this is a show devoted to road travel and whether it's highways, byways, or using the, the, the interstate highways, if you must. But any sort of road tripping that takes you to fabulous places will certainly always have a home in Las Vegas for people who want to go there for all that the town has to offer. And now there is this sports culture. How has that impacted the city of Las Vegas and perhaps changed the mentality of people as citizens of this town that is burgeoning, despite the fact that there is a shortage of water and they have severe water restrictions, but the people for all the entertainment options just keep coming to live and play in Las Vegas? Yeah, I think one of the things about Vegas is it's always been someplace, no matter no matter what time of year it is, somebody's on vacation, and that's how Vegas is. You know, we I work I work on the Strip, and so sometimes we sit there and think of downtime or whatever, and sometimes there's just no downtime because the mentality is it's always somebody's vacation somewhere in the world, and most of the time they'll be coming to Vegas for whatever reason. So we already had the people. Now we just have the people wearing jerseys. <laughs> they're all coming from the same place as they always were, but now they're just wearing jerseys. And now they have a sports team that they can restore, or maybe yet another excuse they want to throw in there to go catch a hockey game and soon a, and a football game soon. What an extraordinary thing happened. Was it a couple of seasons ago when in, an inaugural franchise, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, didn't win at all, but I never in my life heard of a franchise team in their first year making it to the championship round of their sport, and there they were playing for the Stanley Cup. That was amazing. They were even a six to, they were like a 10 to 11 favorite even in that Stanley Cup final. They just kind of ran out of gas. But the bet, you, if you wanted to bet the Gold Knights, you'd have to give 11 bucks to win 10 back. Or, or <laughs> it was just, it was just ridiculous odds. They were such a strong favorite to win. But, you know, like I said, they, they, they ran out of mystique. But they sure took the world by storm that year. And, uh, it was fun to be around. It was fun to talk to the broadcasters all the while as it was happening. You know, they it was a whole new experience for them. It was it's always great for a broadcaster to be able to break in a brand new team into the city, you know, to be that first original broadcaster for that team. And so these broadcasters that I talk to and that, that I know that are for the gold that are for the Golden Knights, they they think it's such a great experience and, and, and you know, up there in Seattle you got a year or two away and you guys are going to be going through the same exact thing. You know, not like a relocation to Seattle. It's going to be a whole new franchise. You're going to have the whole shebang just like we did. And they have and a model. Rivalry. To, uh, rivalry yeah, it might built be a rivalry. With San Jose, with Vancouver, with uh, Edmonton and Calgary. I mean, it's all right there. I don't think we can hate San Jose more than, or we can hate any other team more than San Jose down here in Las Vegas. So you guys have the Canucks if you want. We'll take the, We'll keep the Sharks. <laughs> <laughs> Our producer, Eric Ryder, is standing by. Eric, I need to check in with you briefly. Yes. When it comes to hockey, and I, I moved to Sarasota, Florida some years ago, and I had dreamed before I left Seattle about an NHL team coming to town there in the Emerald City. 
Is it true that there are one or two season ticket sellouts already as people anticipate the creation, the arrival of NHL hockey in Seattle? Well, people are definitely excited. I don't know if it's actually uh, sold out yet, but, uh, uh, yeah, people are excited. And last I heard, we, we still don't have a team name, but they, I believe they are working on that. Well, oh, I thought sure you guys were going to be called the Kraken. The Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a pretty cool name. There's been a lot of different uh, different uh, team names thrown around, um, but I don't believe that uh, we have an official name just yet. But I will research that <laughs> as you gentlemen talk today and give an update. Okay. Well, thank you, Eric. Kirk, let's get back to baseball for a moment. We're on the cusp of the World Series. One team is in the Washington Nationals for the 2019 World Series. It'll either be the Astros, which seems increasingly likely, or the long-established kings of baseball, the New York Yankees. One or the other will go and represent the American League this year. It's fascinating to me how there are people who, I'm not one of them, I, I kind of fantasize about it, but there are people who will go on a pilgrimage to every Major League Baseball stadium. They are road trippers for sure. They will go to baseball stadiums. Maybe they're NFL fans, and they go to every football stadium and score tickets to the Super Bowl besides. Do you know of such people? And to whatever extent, have you made pilgrimage to various sports shrines yourself in North America? I mean, personally, I don't. I've, I've heard of people. I've heard people like make their ways to certain ballparks. I myself have tried to go to different ballparks i've gone to about 13 of them now uh, a couple of them are no longer around but it's my goal to go to all 30 and uh and and some have been replaced and i have to go to the new ones. like old yankee stadium was replaced so i got to go to new yankee stadium now and then the ballpark at arlington or see what was called globe life park in arlington for the texas rangers they just had their final season this last year so i'm gonna have to go on that so I think a lot of people, it's just, you know, even if you're not a baseball fan, it's just the, the ballparks are different than NFL stadiums and arenas, you know. Ballparks have their own little unique personality. They have their own quirks. They have their own uh, different dimensions and alleyways and the smells and the sounds and, and the atmosphere outside of it. And that's one of the reasons I, that is actually the main reason I wrote the Voices of Baseball was to give that tour to everybody of the ballparks. And they all are unique. And there's a science of baseball, and the science is really brought about by by talking with the broadcasters and seeing how different players adapt to the different effects or dimensions, conditions, anything about it. So, People don't take that as much in when they do these ballpark pilgrimages, but it's my hope that they can and start to learn it. I remember I was going to the Oakland Coliseum last time with my buddy, and I looked at him and I said, look, look at this ballpark and look at that foul territory. I said, this is the biggest feature of this place is this foul territory. I said, pitchers will last forever because a foul ball doesn't always go into stands like it does everywhere else. And these pitchers can get people to foul out and batters to get out and the last way into the innings, and he looked at it, he's like, wow, I did not realize how big this foul territory was. And, you know, Oakland's the biggest foul territory in baseball, and that's why you see pitchers with such great stats sometimes there up in Oakland. They'll have innings pitch way up in the higher numbers than some of these ballparks like uh, Baltimore or, 
or in Texas or things like that where it's a total hitter's park. If you go to Coors Field in Colorado, and many people love to make a road trip to the Rockies, that's for sure, if you go to Coors Field, it's a bit of a launching pad because of the high altitude there. If you want to see a home run, that's a good place to go see it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a pretty deep field for all intents and purposes, and and, uh, and there's also a lot of territory for those guys to cover. So if you don't see a home run, you're bound to see a deep double or a triple a lot of the ways because that field gets pretty deep pretty quick. So if it doesn't go out of the park, it's, it's definitely going to be a big, big uh, – big load to carry for all those outfielders out there. You have written a few books now, and I'm sure soon it will be several. You are turning into a prolific author and an extremely articulate, even eloquent writer. Uh, for all of your, your writing, you have a journalistic style that really is high class. Kirk, I compliment you on that. And Thank I also you. believe that you have personal passions. It just bleeds through the page. Your latest book, may be the most perfect example of that kind of attitude, that reverence for sports culture and for the great men of various games. You talk about batting clean. You talk about the great Dale Murphy, who spent most of his career, almost all of it, with the Atlanta Braves. And when you first discovered him, it was through CBS. That's our culture today. It was a TV passion. And yet, from what I understand, reading an article in the Deseret News, you never actually got out to Atlanta to see him. Oh, if only you could have shaken his hand. <laughs> yeah, I've been in the same place as him a couple of times. Uh, he signed a bat for my grandma. My dad was handing it to him. I didn't really shake his hand myself. I was a little away from the crowd. But I was there to kind of take in the, the moment of he, it was posted. It was after his career, so he was given like a fielding uh seminar i guess if you will or whatever you call those things uh and uh he was basically just kind of showing things and and signing autographs because that's what that's what del murphy does del murphy's just a good guy and he'll sign autographs till the late hours of the night when he was playing his wife was patient enough to wait for him obviously when she was on road trips with him and and i'm sure that was taxing for waiting for him all day to be done with work but even after work, he'd sit there and sign autographs for all the fans that came to see him. Because, I mean, he really was the one of the most premier hitters in the National League in the 80s. He might have been the biggest hitter or best hitter in the 80s for the National League. Won two MVPs, could have won four. So, you know, somebody like that nowadays, you don't see them staying around after the game for hours on end, signing every autograph that's shoved in front of his face and every ball or program or ticket or baseball card but that's what he did and that's who he is and he's a great character and uh i think he definitely deserves to be given a little bit more recognition than he has for the hall of fame and there may be rather a loophole that will allow for that to happen with a modern balloting system there's so if we have a few minutes here to go so please you know talk about your book and indicate why you wrote it i mean it's on the face of it, yes, he was batting clean. That speaks to something, and that is character. There are people who are not in the Hall of Fame today whose statistics, whose playing careers, certainly on the surface would make them a slam dunk for the Hall of Fame in their sport. But issues came up about cheating, about gaining that edge in an unethical way. And so even now they are not in the Hall of Fame, and maybe 
never will be. Not so with Dale Murphy. It seems like whatever happened, it was more statistical than about character, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't look enough at his statistics either. You know, there was a reason he won back-to-back MVPs. He had eight or nine, maybe even ten really good years there uh, from 81 to 90. And the problem is is that he played on a very bad team. <laughs> he played on a very bad team, had had the bases empty 55% of the time he came to the plate in his career. When you have something like that as a cleanup hitter, there's not much you can do RBI-wise unless you knock yourself in. And so, I mean, he had the 398 home runs, but not only that, once he actually got on base, he only scored 29% of the time he was on base. So he, you know, more than two-thirds of the time he actually reached base, he just was stranded out there. And that has a lot to do with the supporting cast, too. So I think a lot of people look at the batting average, the 265 career batting average. His batting average dipped quite a bit the last two years because of injuries. But I think that's the note that everybody sees him go out on, and that's what their lasting impression was when he was up for the ballot. Here's another thing that I have theorized post-production uh, of this book, is that when he first went onto the ballot, it was around 98-99. You know, in 98-99, you guys got you got guys hitting 70 home runs, 67 home runs, 66 home runs the next year, whatever it was that McGuire hit this in uh, 2000, or, uh, 1999 following the 70 home run campaign. Then you got a guy hitting 73 home runs in 2001. So the, the 44 home runs that he had, you know, to lead the National League in 1985, I believe it was. Actually, maybe that was in 87 when he led the National League in home runs. Those 44 home runs don't really look that impressive when you got somebody hitting 73. So those kinds of things are boating in the riders. And then guess what? Nine or ten years later, he's still on the ballot losing, losing the – steam as he's going year by year and now in 2007 getting towards the last five years on the ballot now you got things you know coming out about these players how they were using substances and things like that and and all of a sudden now their their careers are tainted and those numbers are tainted well you've already had murphy on the ballot for 10 years and you ignored him then you're still you know they were ignoring him those last five years too even despite the fact that all these power numbers that made his pale in comparison certainly weren't legitimate and that's one of the things that I feel went going against Murphy was, was some of those numbers that piled up pretty well comparatively in the National League around his time. But by the time he was five years removed from his retirement, these numbers were starting to become otherworldly in the National League when it comes to home runs and, and RBI production, things like that. And in a way that obviously in hindsight, those numbers are inflated. They are artificial. And I certainly root for the good guys in any sport. I like to see them honored for their achievements. Hopefully with Dale Murphy that will be the case. I did want to move back into the road trip aspect of sporting culture with you, Kirk. I have been to Vero Beach. Now, it was there in the dead of night, got there. I was lucky to find a hotel room this was several years ago. And I didn't make it to Dodger Town. But part of the essence of our conversation here today is that there are people who are so loyal, so enamored of a player, a team, that for generations they will follow them and their sons and daughters follow them and their grandchildren follow them. That was true in Vero Beach with Dodger Town. But then business being business, there came a time, and it was more than a few years ago, that's for sure, Vero Beach is no longer home to the Dodgers, but there is still a Dodgers mentality. You can still go to the remnants of Dodger Town 
and celebrate the Dodgers' legacy there. It seems that business is about creating big venues, which would attract a lot of people coming to the game and enjoying the experience, but it happens in a way that is geographically more central to the team and to the demographic rather than the old days when the Dodgers in Los Angeles would have their spring training home games in Florida. <laughs> yeah, you said, you said a ton right there. <laughs> but and you're right, Las like, Vegas, I think. Uh, there, and then in Las yeah. Vegas, Cashman Field, maybe you're going to get your Major League Baseball team, but if people wanted to see Major League players, they would go to Cashman Field there for years and years to see them come to town. I did it myself, as a matter of fact, and that gave Las Vegas sports fans, in addition to going to run and Rebels college basketball games, sports venues of which they could be proud. You know, another thing, though, is, is Vegas is pretty good as far as accessibility to some of the other cities around. It's only a four-hour drive to Los Angeles, but more importantly, you're talking about a pilgrimage. One of the best pilgrimages I can think of in the spring is to go down to Phoenix and spend a few days there, if not a week or two, and check out those 10 different ballparks and those 15 teams representing half of Major League Baseball in that big, huge valley. It's really quite an experience. And, and you'll see you know, that city and that valley come to life all around. You know, people people migrating there for that particular purpose and it was really fun for me to do a lot of the interviews for the voices of baseball down there just because it seemed like everybody had one purpose and that was to come you know instead of going the 3,000 miles that would take them to get to some place like well I guess from Phoenix to uh, Cleveland's not 3,000 miles but you know a good almost 2,000 miles instead you know going right there down to Phoenix catching most of the players that you can getting up close and personal, having that ballpark experience you would at Major League Baseball in some very beautiful weather. <laughs> not having to go to a Cleveland, going to a Cleveland Indians game and not having to be in 40-degree inclement weather, that seems like a pretty good trade to me. So, And that's what you're seeing around April when, uh, when the Indians start their season. You know, it's a far cry from what they had been doing the first six weeks before, for the six weeks before the season started back there in Phoenix and they're in the 70, 80 degree weather and just loving the sunshine and everything. Then they go to the snow just barely melting and the ice barely melting off of Lake Erie. <laughs> that That's is a different true. experience and, than for sure. And the Cleveland Indians, it's been a while, but they were in the World Series where the, that weather was a factor in the play. You could tell it was very chilly and the same could be said from time to time at Yankee Stadium itself. Right, so what, and uh, and another thing is Chicago. Chicago players must really not – they have to kind of separate themselves, uh, the, the White Sox and the Cubs, because Wrigley Field can be one of the best places for you to play for a hitter or the worst places, depending on the wind and the way it's blowing. But you don't really have that kind of wind in Phoenix. So those six weeks have definitely got to be some kind of uh, unlearning experience for the Cubs players, if you ask me, because – they're going from those steel conditions in that desert to the windy conditions of Chicago. Absolutely. And about an hour's flight from Chicago, there is a renaissance town, Detroit, close by the headquarters of American Road Magazine, in fact. And in Detroit, if you are a big-time, big-league sports fan, you have it made because Comerica Park for the Detroit Tigers, Little Caesars Arena, 
Lions of the NFL. It's all located in the core of downtown Detroit, so that going to see these major league sports events is very easy by contrast with other cities. Yeah, I think that, and I remember talking with people about that uh, for Detroit chapter and the Voices of Baseball because it became a joke for years, all those buildings that were abandoned because of the economy and everything like that. So to have that kind of be part of your culture right there in downtown Detroit, it it kind of had obviously a negative connotation with it. But like you said, what they're doing is they're opening up these districts. And honestly, let's face it, the most popular team any that you can possibly imagine in the Detroit area is going to be the Reds. I, nobody's going to argue that. That I mean, the Lions maybe. You know, people are diehard Lions fans because they just have to be. But the Red Wings opening up that new Little Caesars Arena and where they opened it up, the whole purpose of that was to rejuvenate and revitalize that area. And I know that they're just working their way back to basically making it more what it used to be. You know, in the 90s, you had the Pistons, you had a, a team, the Bad Boys, and they were bringing the glory, championship glory back to Detroit that was lost there for all those years that um, that the uh, Red Wings weren't doing so well. You know, you had the Tigers winning the championship in 84, but the Pistons kind of, you know, had a little bit of a dynasty there for just a brief moment. And so, you know, time goes by and de- decades go by and, and the city kind of dies a little and a little bit at a time. The old buildings kind of fade and just what they're doing now, I feel, is great. It's a great shot in the arm, and if they can get more talent on those teams and really become a contender in each of their different spheres and their different sports, I think it's going to be a, a good thing for Detroit in the years to come. I think it will, too. I am going to visit Detroit because I want to meet the people who employ me at American Road Magazine. We have a fine relationship for being people who have not met face-to-face. And I do want to take in the sports culture of Detroit because it's part of a modern miracle going on in the Motor City. Yeah. I mean, if the Red Wings can get back. Yes. No, I I was just going to say, if the Red Wings can get back into that competitive nature and get back to the playoffs and and start having a a contender back on the ice, I think it will really turn things around. It's been kind of sad, you know, going from 25 years of uh, playoffs uh, appearances 25 straight years to zero in the last three, it's been pretty bad for them. Yes, yes it has. Hopefully there's going to be some change. They are a very exciting team when they have the Motor City Mojo going. I want to thank you, Kirk McKnight, so much for joining us today. Once again, your brand new book is called Batting Clean, Why Del Murphy Belongs in Baseball's Hall of Fame. Beautiful and very affordably priced, too. Thank you so much, Kirk. I hope to talk with you again. Thanks, Gary. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk. Check out the latest edition of American Road Magazine at AmericanRoadMagazine.com. Until next week, dream well, 